All right, well, good morning. Hey, uh, you know, we don't do uh, this often. I want to start this morning a a little different. Um, If you've been following along with us in the bookmark we've given you, you'll know that today is on prayer, and Jenna's prayed, and uh, Jody just prayed. I'd like for us to take just a 15, 20 seconds this morning uh, in the silence of our hearts, and uh, would you just, just offer up whatever it is, you know, that's on your heart right now, just offer, offer it to the Lord and ask him to speak, and I'll close this and we'll get started. Father, we come before you this morning. And I just, I just sense in my heart right now just, just the compellingness in my, at least on my own part, at least for me, maybe for us, just to pray, just to start. And as we, as we gauge, get into your word this morning, as we get to, to listen to the words of Jesus on the mountain, as he teaches us on prayer, about the idea of prayer, uh, Lord, one of those things is just the secrecy that's involved between you and me, between you and, and each of us. And so, Lord, would you just hear our hearts And Lord, would you give us a glimpse this morning of who you are um, and give us what we need. In your name we pray, amen. Hey, when I was in um, college, I believe, I believe it was when I was in college, I don't remember where I was living at the time, but I had come home and was, was back in, in rural Nebraska. And growing up in, the, in rural Nebraska, you know, everything is flat, just like it is here, too. So um, you see storms coming from a long ways away. And so I remember, as I think it was like a sophomore in college, and I was the only one home. I don't know where, where my family was, but I was the only one home. And uh, the storm starts to roll in across the plains. And you see the green. And as soon as you see green, you think hail, Right. And so uh, as, as it gets closer and closer and closer, uh, and you're sorry, I wasn't really paying attention to the news because, you know, I was a sophomore in college, that's not what you do. And I just, I just knew that there was a storm coming, and so I sat out on the, on the edge, right, um, of, of our deck, of our patio, whatever it was, and I was watching this storm come in. Uh, and I kid you, I kid you not, I, I mean, I don't know what the world record was or the national record was, um, but, but we had one of the largest hailstorms, I think, to the best of my knowledge, had been recorded to date. And you could see the hail, you could pick it up coming halfway down through the sky. And I just remember watching it from across. So we lived kind of right on the edge of this farm. My dad was a senior pastor time, but on the edge of town. And, and I was looking at the, the cornfield behind me. You know, it was, I think it was, you know, probably sometime after harvest. And I remember picking this one out and watching it fall and fall and fall and fall until it shattered. And I heard the next day that there were some that were recorded that were watermelon-sized hail holes in roofs and just smashing in cars, right? It's, it's, it was incredible. Scary. Incredibly scary. I'll put those two together. I remember even going out, running out into my yard, and, and after that kind of hailstorm was over, and I grabbed just one chunk of just the smaller one that had fallen in our yard, and just the one of, I don't know, maybe six chunks was like a softball. I was like, man, this is so big, right? It's incredible. So I threw it in the freezer, wanted to show my parents, blah, 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 all that stuff. Well, the storm kind of continues, and it progresses, because the hailstorm to me wasn't that scary. But as the storm progressed, I believe it was the same night as that tornadoes started to form. 
And in Nebraska, you're right in the middle of Tornado Alley, and, and, uh, and I remember sitting out in that exact same spot, uh, and, and I started to panic as I saw the winds start to change. And I thought, I'm the only one home. This is terrifying. And so as I see these winds start to change, and then I, and I remember this very vividly in my mind, this one moment, and I, and I happen to get out from underneath like the little roof, and I look up, and I see the beginnings of a funnel cloud. Like, you're in the tornado alley. You know what a funnel cloud looks like. The winds start to turn. It starts to go in that circular motion, and it starts to descend. And in that moment, I wet my pants. <laughs> I don't think I did. But what I did was I, I ran. I kid you not. I have never run faster. Like, put me up against Usain Bolt. I would win in that moment. Like, I ran down the stairs, didn't worry about doors. I just, like, like just shoved my way through doors, down the stairs, and as quick as I could, I got under the most flimsiest of couches that we had in the basement. And it was in that moment that I proceeded to confess to the Lord every single thing that I could ever remember doing. And it was just, it was like this verbal vomit, and just kept coming and kept coming. And in the midst of that, I was like, God, please, please don't let me die. Please protect me, protect me, protect me, over and over and over. It's funny how our circumstances change our prayer. When all of a sudden we take our sin just a little bit more seriously, and we asked for God's protection. Uh, so a couple years ago, um, we were still living in Charlotte, and, uh, and I woke up in the middle of, of the night, and, it, and I had this weird feeling, and I don't know what it was, uh, but I just had this, this weird feeling that something was wrong. It was just a strange thing. And so I, I get to Nikki, I kind of get up out of bed, and I go over uh, towards Nikki, and I remember like, putting my hand on like, some type of a, like a counter or something, and I remember doing this, Nikki, something's wrong. Turns out it was just a kidney stone. But it was one of the most painful things I have ever experienced. I was so painful, we called the, the paramedics and they came. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm, just, like I'm just like in agony writhing on the couch waiting for them to come. And they get there and they think it's serious. And then they basically diagnose that it's a kidney stone. They're like, eh, whatever, he's fine. I kid you not, that was the, the whole attitude changed. They, put, they just like lazily put me in the thing and they got to take me to the hospital, you know, like it was terrible, terrifying for me. And so, but in this moment, like again, it's, it's crazy how circumstances change our prayer when we start to get into this mindset. I read this in an email uh, this week, you know, and just, we all know this, but how, how, does that, how does that look like now? Because in these moments, those types of things expose the nature of my heart. They really do. But how about now? We are in a global pandemic with heated political debate, economic distress for so many people, natural disasters, racial tensions, poverty around the world, corruption, religious persecution, and evil influences permeating many aspects of life. It's enough to make anyone despair. If it's true in those moments, those specific moments in our life, that the nature of my heart is exposed, how about now? We are in a trying time uh, in, our, in our hearts. The true nature of who we are and what we want in life is being exposed. 
And we're in this series called On the Mount where we're sitting with Jesus, really sitting with the disciples, listening to Jesus along Mount Aramos, and we're overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus this morning is going to teach us on prayer. And can I say this, that, that in these times, there is one thing that we should do better than anything else in life right now, and that's prayer right? Prayer is so fundamental to who we are and what we need to understand from God. In fact, we're going we're gonna to look at prayer, but before we get there, I want us to read this first verse. If we go, this is the, the overarching verse, Matthew 6, 1, that kind of goes over these verses, and it says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven, right? There is this natural tendency in our hearts to want to be seen by others. And last week we looked at doing good works. And today we're going to look at prayer. But before we do, I want to put this positive spin and connect these two a little bit, because I want us to understand this, this idea. I heard this a long time ago. I think I've said it before, but it's so important. There's nothing, this next slide, I think, this big idea. Oh, sorry, nope, not that one. Is it not up there? I'll just tell you. Um, it's this one. It says, there's nothing, there's nothing that you or I can do to demonstrate our dependence on God more than prayer. Not evangelism. doesn't matter if you save a thousand souls. doesn't matter if you feed a million people with food and water, like those are, those are great things that we should be doing, but there's nothing we can do to demonstrate our dependence on God more than prayer because prayer is the one thing that acknowledges that I don't have control in this life. It is only the Lord who has the ultimate and sovereign power. And so this prayer, as we look at it this morning, is our way to understand how to address our Father who is in heaven. Okay, so we're going to start in, in Matthew 6, chapter 4. Uh, Matthew 6, verse 5. Here's what it says, and when you pray. Okay, so this is the same construction as last week, right? There's this assumption, this expectation that Jesus says, like, when you pray. It's not a command. He doesn't say, you have to pray or you should always go pray. He just says, hey, and when you pray. Like, if you want to follow me, one of the things that I do, in fact, one of the only things you will find Jesus doing in all of Scripture by himself is prayer. Most everything else he does with his disciples because he's multiplying a way of life over and over and over. But one thing he does is that he's constantly in this, these, these spaces and these zones where he goes into the wilderness, into the cave, and, and up on the mountain to pray to his father. So he says, like, this is a natural byproduct of spending time with me. Like, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, right? Now remember, um, we have this, this uh, stage back here last time, this door, where we talked about the front stage and the backstage, right? And, and so Jesus, when he's talking about hypocrites, he's talking about actors in the theater who would come up on stage and who would perform for the sake of an audience. Now, Jesus isn't saying, like, if you're, like, in the Christian acting world, he's not condemning that, right? Uh, what he's condemning is that, is that we live this way in front of others to be seen, and yet when we go behind the stage, we act in an entirely different way. That's ultimately what Jesus is confronting in this, is that these, these people, uh, these, these hypocrites who are really aimed at the Pharisees, he says that they love to stand in the synagogues 
and on the street corners so that they are seen by others. And from their perspective, or maybe even from our perspective, we might look at them and go, they're just setting a good example to follow. Like, look at me, I'm praying. You should all pray. And yet Jesus says, hey, prayer in public, that's good. That's done throughout the Bible. But what is bad is when you're doing it because your motive is corrupt. He's condemning when we do it for show. And so Jesus then shifts and he says, but... In, in verse 6, but when you pray, right, that, that contrast, but when you pray. Really what Jesus is saying, I think, in this is that if you struggle with that, if you struggle with wanting to be seen by other people, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into your room. Where is this at? Verse 6, he says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. I had a student a long time ago uh, in our ministry, and uh, one of the things that I remember, I just, just, we were talking about prayer, I think, at one point, and, uh, and she said that then when she was younger, uh, she would, she would uh, she'd get scared because she couldn't find her dad. And so she would, she would go throughout the whole home, and she would be shouting for her dad, 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 where are you? Because it was just those two at home. And, and, and eventually, it, over time, she learned that there was one place that she should look. And she would go into the bedroom, her father's mom and dad's bedroom, and she would find, she would open up the closet doors, and she would find him on his knees, praying, just over and over. And that was where he went to pray. Now, wh- why in the world does Jesus tell us to do that? Now, I don't know about you guys, but for me, I, I think one of the things that I've learned uh, over time is that when I pray in public, even in good settings, say we're praying at church or we're praying in small groups or whatever, there is always this, this little slight pull from me that, that wants to protect my heart or protect others from my heart. That there's, this, there's still this image control that I am still in charge of. And yet Jesus, when he says, go into your room and shut the door, it's, I learned this principle. I started going into my office. I would lock the door. I had a, a little window and, on my door, and I would like, like tape a piece of paper that says praying or something, or like, go away, leave me alone. Um, whatever it was, I'm sure it was really nice. Uh, and then I would shut all of the blinds, And I would turn off all of the lights except for one little light. And it was in that space. This is just me. But it was in that space when I started practicing this, when I felt that no one was watching me and no one could hear me, that things started to flow out of my heart that I had never heard before. Because it's in that space where I am totally free to speak 100% truth to God to my Father, to give him everything that is inside of me, whether it's questions or it's doubts or it's concerns or insecurities or joys or whatever it is, I can give it to him without, without any fear of people looking in on that. And, and what I've learned in the midst of that space is that God wants to engage me in an incredibly personal way. He wants to engage me in a way that connects my front stage to my backstage. It's as if when Jesus says, go behind that door, he's inviting us to live behind the stage. He's like, don't worry about the front stage. Don't worry about everything that, that we put on for other people. He's just like, just, hey, just go back here. Just kneel down back here where there's nobody. There's no spotlight. There's no audience. There's none of that. And would you just give me 
what you got. And he's just waiting for us to be able to share those things. Because I, I get it, praying can be hard. Praying can be an awkward thing. And so I just go, if you struggle with that, if prayer is a strange thing for you, I encourage you to try that. Just, just try this. Go, go into your room, shut the door where you are totally free, and pray with the Lord. Now, that may help you. I've also found, just full disclosure, I don't, I don't know that I've ever felt like I'm a really good prayer. You ever been around somebody who just prays, and you're like, oh, man, how do they do that? Like, well, like you just want to like hold their hand while they do it. It's like somehow you want to osmosis, learn how to do that, you know? Like for me, it was a guy named Terry. Uh, Terry was a coach in our ministry, and he, he actually shepherded and mentored our, our small group leaders who were shepherding and mentoring students. And, and Terry and I would go into my office while all of the students and all the leaders were in their small groups, and Terry and I would just sit for half an hour and pray. And I have never loved moments in ministry more than those. Like, whatever it was about it, I just got to sit with Terry and pray. And so I just invite you to find someone who is good at it, if you feel like you're not, and join them in that rhythm and ask them to pray with you. Jesus moves on from the Pharisees or the hypocrites in verses 5 and 6, and he moves into verse 7. And he's actually going to shift to these people who are called the Gentiles. He says this, and when you pray, okay, so he's giving us kind of two examples, right, the Pharisees and the hypocrites and these Gentiles. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, okay? Stop there. So Gentile is basically a word that includes anybody in that context who was not a Jew, Okay, so there were Jews, God's chosen people, and then there was kind of everybody else, and that was the Gentiles, okay? Um, and uh, the words here where it says um, that they will be heard, I, I'll go back to this again because I don't think I actually even read that, um, and it says they think that they will be heard for their many words, okay? Those many words uh, could be translated like babble, like B-A-B-B-L-E, like just babbling, Right? These rote incantations that, that people would say and use over and over and over as if they could somehow, in some way, shape, or form, manipulate the divine. Now, again, they didn't have a personal relationship with the creator. So, so how they're engaging them, it doesn't really reflect that. It's not personal. Right? They would just spout off and babble all of these words as if God, in some way, shape, or form, is this, this giant cosmic butler and Jesus says, don't be like them. Don't let your prayer be molded to look like their prayer. Right? In order to be salt and light, if we go all the way back to the beginning of Matthew 5, and, and the whole point of this, I think, is Jesus is setting us up as we're relearning how to ride the bike to become a salt and light to the earth in order to be that to the world, our lives have to look different. And just like, don't let your life begin to be molded to theirs. Let it begin to be molded to mine. I, I, this phrase came to my mind, and I don't know if this is helpful for you. I find it kind of funny. Um, pray it, don't spray it. Don't just babble, right? Don't just like wrote incantations, like, but be intentional. Pray it. Address your father, okay? Address your father. So that verse seven, when you pray, do not be, um, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for the many words. Do not be like them. And here's the contrast here. For your father knows what you need before you 
ask him. Okay, so I'm going to go over to the drawing board here for a second, okay? It says that the God already knows. Okay, just make sure I got this. Make sure we're on the drawing board. Yay, nay. Nope. It's not working. It was working before. Nothing. Guess we'll have to set it aside. Well, that's a bummer. Um, so I want you to consider this, okay? So um, I'll try and do this in person. I was going to draw a circle, okay? Circle. Here we go. Circle. Um, and then I was going to draw a line, okay? So when, when it says that God knows in this text, the, the verb to know is in the perfect tense, which means that something happened a long time ago that has these continuing effects to today. Okay, so something happened, has these continuing effects, and that's where I'm at. And so if I were to draw a line over here, it's as if this is where I am at in life. This, this tiny little blip of a moment on, on the giant cosmic radar of God's timeline. And if you go all the way back to the beginning, like that circle was like the creation of the earth, the creation of the universe, and we go, man, that's such a small line to represent, right, all of time as we know it. And if we zoom actually back out of that, we realize, we know that God is actually eternal. So he doesn't even start with this circle. It goes all the way this way with this arrow that never ends. And it's an arrow that goes this way and it never ends. It's, it's, it's both ways that God is eternal. And so we know that even God who exists outside of time. So Jesus, when he's talking to these people who are offering up these rote incantations, just babbling, kind of spraying it into the universe just on the hopes that somebody will listen, Jesus says that God, your creator, is totally omniscient for all of eternity, not just these small times but for all of time. And so it's in this space as we begin to, to get a bigger picture of, Jesus, of God's knowledge that we begin to understand that God knows. It, it Maybe sometimes he doesn't respond as quickly as I want him to, but God knows exactly what I need and exactly when I need it. He does. And our prayer fits into, into that storyline. And so it's in light of this knowledge that Jesus actually invites us into this incredibly bold prayer. Okay, look at, verses, um, look at verse 9. He says, then pray like this. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Okay, I'm going to stop there for a second, right? So the first thing that we see that Jesus says he's teaching us about prayer, and we, we use this word a lot, but it's the word Father. Now, if we were to go all the way back into to the Israelite story, all the way back to Exodus, which is what we just came out of, in Exodus 4.22, God basically speaks for the first time over his people that Israel is my firstborn son. Now, I am a father to them is ultimately what he is communicating, right? I took you out of slavery. I provided for you. I cared for you. And most importantly, I have this thing called unconditional love. That never, ever changes. And that's something that I am learning even with my daughter Eden, right? Like even on Eden's best days, I'm like, wow, you are awesome. And on her, her worst days, I'm like, wow, that was not awesome, but I love you exactly the same. And I don't know, as a dad, I'm like, I don't even know how that works. But it's true. There's nothing that she could ever do to earn my love more. 
That's just the way that God sees us and what he's ingrained inside of us, even as parents. And so for us, that we can see that of God, that there's nothing we can do or not do to ever make God love us more. And so when he's talking about our Father, ultimately what Jesus is communicating to us is that, guys, this is who God is. If you go back to Exodus, right, this is who God is, and this is what he does. He has this extreme, rich, good, perfect character. And that's the first thing that we see in our prayer, God as our Father, as our provider. But the second thing we see is that he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, so the first one was all about who God is. This is all about what God does. And what God is doing has something to do with these, with, with these spaces called earth and called heaven, right? And see, ultimately what, what Jesus is saying here about God is that there are these two spaces, one of which is totally broken. Can we just admit that the earth's sphere, right, everything in this existence is flawed? I'm flawed, you're flawed, our systems are flawed, our food production is flawed, our agriculture, our politics, everything about this life is filled with flaws. It's broken, right? And yet there is this sphere over here that is perfect. And so when Jesus says, as we pray, we're talking about bring your kingdom here, right? Like your will be done, he's talking about this this shifting of this blending and bringing these two together and that there's this space, this overlap between heaven and earth, which is this space where Jesus' reign is beginning to take effect and his kingdom is coming into play. Ultimately, what Jesus said is, is that God's plan is ultimately all about making the world right. And bringing this, this is the crux of it, right? The cross is what makes that possible. And it's in light of the cross that you and I can actually struggle well. It's in light of the cross that that you and I can go, man, I have so much junk in my life, but praise be to Jesus who took care of that for me. Right? And it's in light of that cross that we can actually relearn how to ride the bike. That's the zone, the space. And Jesus is saying, like, hey, our prayers should be so big that we're asking God to keep overlapping these spheres, that, they, that God's kingdom would continue to overlap and fight against Satan's. And that all of the brokenness would be, would be moving towards this restoration, which is ultimately what we are waiting for in the end. And so when we recap that prayer, we know that these first two things are about God's character and it's all about his plan. And so when Jesus says, when you pray, that's your starting point. Who God is and what he does. That's the starting point for prayer. And I don't know, if, I don't know about you, um, but, but when I forget about those, you know where I start? Right here with me and everything that I want. And I want to promote and ask for things, maybe with good intentions, but ultimately are about promoting Seth's kingdom and not God's kingdom. And Jesus says, who God is and what he does first. But then this is where it moves into us, right? This is where it finally comes to us. And he says, give us this day our daily bread. Now, daily, 
the word daily there can just mean continual. I think more, just a better translation is probably the idea of our tomorrow's bread. And if you look in your footnotes, you can find that in your Bible. Give us today our tomorrow's bread, which, which ultimately I think for, uh, for us communicates to us on a basic need level that you and I need to be content with living day to day. That there is this patience to say, God, I don't need anything for two days from now. What I just need to know is that you're going to provide for me today and tomorrow. And that's it. This contentment, this contentment, give me today my tomorrow's bread. But also, ultimately, I think that's something that Jesus is pointing to in this text, is he's not just talking about food, he's actually talking about heaven. Because when you think about those two spheres, I think that what Jesus is saying when he says, give us today our tomorrow's bread, he's talking about this future kingdom. He's saying, give me today a taste of what I will get tomorrow. Because it's in that, in in eating that type of a food that I am sustained knowing and experiencing what ultimately awaits me at the end of this journey. It's about the perfect heaven is really what he's inviting us to pray for. Give me a taste today of what I will ultimately get in heaven alone, which gives us hope. And then towards the end of his prayer, he shifts and says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You see, at the core of the prayer is ultimately just our need for forgiveness. It's our need for Jesus and for the new kingdom. By the way, Christianity is the one religion that does this differently than any other religion in the world. Right? Every, other world, every other religion basically says you've got to do this on your own. Uh, Christianity is the one that says, uh, God looks at us and says, I know that you can't do that on your own, and so guess what? I love you enough that I will do it for you. In order to do that, I've got to send my son. But we think about the need for that, right? If I were to take this Play-Doh, I stole this from Eden, who then found it this morning and hid it from me, and then I had to look all throughout the house and find it again. So in the beginning... There was God and there was man. And we were together. As a result, as a result of sin, when sin enters into the world, this orange I'm going to use as sin, okay? When sin entered into the world, it became mixed up in us. And I can't get that out. That's a part of who I am right? I, I, am, I am still in part made in the image of God, but sin has marred that, and it's a piece of me, and that's my sinful nature. But, but not just am I separated from God, now I'm separated from other people. And what happens is now that I have sin in my, or like sin in my nature, I have all these little sinful things that, that, that start to come out into this world, right? Right? And, they, and they become these little prickly things around me and all this sin that's present in my life. Now, ultimately, it's only through the cross that, that, that all of this can be forgiven. Right? But there are these, these things, these sinful acts. And in my brokenness, not only am I separated from God, I am separated from other people. Here's what I love about the word forgiveness. The word for forgiveness in Greek is aphiemi, which starts with the word apa, which means from or separated from. And so it's as if when Jesus says, he's talking about forgiveness, ultimately God can only forgive the sinful grossness and take all of the stuff that's integrated into my life, he can take that out through the cross, right? That's a Jesus thing. But when I come to other people, when I 
ask for forgiveness or when I offer somebody forgiveness, it's as if I take these little things that maybe they've said or done and I stick them to the cross. And I can bring forgiveness if I'm willing to offer it and I stick it back on this thing. But here's the deal. I think, here's what's challenging and tricky about forgiveness. Here's what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not this. I'll take it off and put it on here, but oh, you made me upset again. It's back on. Forgiveness ultimately means this. I will never bring this up again, and I will never use it against you. That's the core of this prayer. And ultimately what Jesus says, what I did for you, I want you to do for others. And that's the assumption here that these people would say that they're not unwilling to give it, right? As we have forgiven others, we ask that from you. And then it ends here with this line. It says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Guys, when Jesus left, he knew, like the, the true light of the world left the world and left us in his place. And he knew the darkness of the world that we were going to be walking into. There is a, I don't even, I can't, I'm not even sure if I can put words to this. The spiritual battle that we face on a daily level is so much bigger than we ever realize. What Satan is trying to accomplish in this world is so much bigger than everything that, that we really can see. Jesus knows that and, and, and as a part of that prayer reminds us to pray for that. So at the end of this prayer, the goal is ultimately, I think, that, that we understand the nature of our hearts. And it's in this verse 14 where he says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Guys, the simple point here, I know it sounds scary and dangerous, the simple point here is, is that if you're willing to forgive other people, that is a sign and an evidence that you have been forgiven yourself. But if we are withholding, if we are unwilling to do that, it shows something and it reveals something about the nature of our hearts. So this prayer, when we think about the prayer, it starts with who God is and what he does. It's about making the world right. It talks about my basic need for food, but also this idea to experience this hope, to desire this experience of, of heaven today. And it addresses our deepest needs, which is forgiveness, and it addresses our greatest war, which is Satan. That's what this prayer ultimately shows us. And if you were to go all the way back to the beginning, you look at the Gentiles where he says, hey, don't babble like they do, these rote incantations. You might look at this and go, well, hey, isn't that babble? Isn't that a rote incantation? That's not the point. Here, Jesus is just giving us a starting framework. He says, this is a structure. Here's the things that I want you to know about prayer, and I want you to take this outline, and I want you to make it your own. Make it your own and delve into it. Dive into this personal, engaging prayer between you and your heavenly Father. And it's meaningful for us that we can use simple, ordinary words to communicate with our Creator. Isn't that amazing? That we can use words that, that, that are just so simple, like the English language is so blah, and we can speak English language, right? And we're communicating something. And here's the best part I love about it, my prayer, is that even when I cannot find words to express what I need to express to God, guess what? The Holy Spirit's translating that for me. And my heart is exposed before the Lord.
I want to give you this big idea one last time. Go one more, sorry, and we'll come back to that. There's nothing that you can do to demonstrate your dependence on God more than prayer. We're in a sticky, tough, challenging season where our hearts are being exposed, and I just encourage you to lean into prayer. Show your dependence. I'm going to give you these three challenges. I'm not giving you questions this week. Go back one. I'm not giving you uh, questions this week. I want to challenge you with these three things, and this is something that's been on my heart a lot um, recently. Pray big. So oftentimes I feel like I am content to pray small. And it doesn't mean that God doesn't care about small things, but what if, we, what if we saw God for who he is and all of his greatness and we allowed the bigness of who God is to inform the bigness of our prayers? Pray specific. Uh, I have found uh, that when in my life I pray generically, especially when I'm confessing sin, God, I'm sorry, I'll never do that again. And God's like, hey, what was that? Which, to which of those that things are you referring to? I find that when I pray specific, it changes my relationship with the Father. Pray specific. One of those, another uh, uh, example of that would be you're talking with somebody and they say, hey, my, my, my father or mother is in, in the hospital. Uh, easy question. Hey, what's their name? How can I pray for them? And last, pray now. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till the next day. Um, but pray right now. What if we had a culture where when we got into a moment and it needed prayer, we just, we just created this as part of the rhythm. Hey, let's pause. Let's push pause on life. You and me, let's pray right here, right now. There's nothing that we can do to demonstrate our dependence on God more than prayer. Let's pray. Father, as I just come before you right now, even in this moment, I think there's a piece of me that is tempted just to, just to confess my heart before you. I don't know if that's helpful or damaging to people in this room. But Lord, what I know is that you know my heart. And you, so you know every single heart in this space. God, if there's any unforgiveness that, that we've been holding on to. We know we live in a hard world where things go wrong and bad things happen and thing, people say things that are hurtful. But if there's any of that unforgiveness, Lord, will we take it to the cross and will we not be withholding from that? God, would you give us a glimpse this week, this, this time right here cannot, cannot make better our prayers later in the week we need to go and practice these things. And so, Father, Lord, I just pray that we would each leave, myself included, this week and that we would engage in prayer in a new and a rich and engaging way with our Heavenly Father who unconditionally loves us and forgives us. In your name we pray. Amen.